Jesus comes from the hill country, 40 miles inland from the Sea of Galilee, just in terms of geography. So uh, this is the beginning of Mark when Jesus' ministry is kind of coming onto the scene. And just for context, he grew up in the uh, city or the village of Nazareth, and he comes now 40 miles uh, towards the Sea of of Galilee. Now, Nazareth is not a fisherman's village. And after the close of John the Baptist's ministry, when, when John was arrested, Jesus begins to make this journey into Galilee. And I want you to kind of think about that for a second, because he, Jesus himself is coming from this village where there were no fishermen, where most likely there were very, very small businesses, Uh, if businesses at all. He came from a small village town where, from what we understand, his father was a carpenter. And he then moves to Galilee. Now, Galilee was a much bigger region of the ancient world, especially in this area. And the fishermen in Galilee, they had strong, lucrative businesses. And we learn later in this very text that actually James and John, they have a business that's so strong and so profitable that they're able to sustain hired workers within their business. And so when Jesus comes into Galilee, what I want us to see is that he's moving from this small little village and he's moving into this place that has intense economic activity. It's a change. It's different from what he's used to. He arrives on a scene where people are not idle, but they are working. So lest we think that Jesus showed up into a place where folks were just sitting around waiting for somebody to sort of call them and get to work. No, these were folks who were actually engaged in a very lucrative business. They were able to sustain their own families and also offer profits to families beyond theirs. So Jesus comes into this sort of hub of economic activity, and that's where he gets his ministry off the ground. Somehow these folks who are not standing around but are working are the ones who are captivated by this opportunity to follow Jesus. It's this watershed moment in history, really, because the fishermen, you see, even as lucrative and as uh, sort of profitable and exciting, and when I say exciting, I mean they had a lot of work to do. It was a full business. Um, They were unlikely disciples with as much work as they had on their hands. You see, they lived by the work of their hands, and they weren't necessarily the educated folks within the area of Palestine. The educated folks, remember, lived outside of the city of Jerusalem. These instead were strong workers who were running very smart businesses. But likely, these folks that were living on the edge of the region of Galilee, which was north of Jerusalem, likely they did not know how to read. Likely, these folks were not a part of the literate class that would have existed within the region of Palestine. And likely, the work of being a rabbi, the work of the scriptures, would have been unfamiliar to them. These would have been folks who 
would have worshipped, most likely. They would have gone to their local synagogues, but they would have heard the word spoken. They wouldn't have been able to necessarily read it for themselves. And yet it is here in this place where Jesus offers his, his call. This is where Jesus begins his ministry. And I want us to note, too, that when Jesus leaves Nazareth, when he has this opportunity, he learns that John the Baptist has been arrested, and he leaves his, his town of Nazareth, he doesn't head into the city. He doesn't head around the realm of Jerusalem. He instead works on the outskirts. And he starts with this one message, and this is my very loose translation of it. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Change, turn around. That's that word for repent in Greek. It means change, turn around. And believe that the message is good. Believe the good news. What he's saying, news there, just means message. Believe that the message is good. That's how Jesus starts his ministry. And somehow, it is this unlikely combination that provides the traction for Jesus getting his ministry actually off the ground. Not just off the ground, but as we'll learn in the coming weeks, that actually this moment is going to get Jesus' ministry off the ground and running. It's not going to stop. It's just going to gain momentum from this particular moment right here. And he approaches Simon and Andrew, and Mark immediately tells us that they drop their nets and they follow him. And then he comes to James and John, and he calls to them. And immediately they leave their father and the business, and they follow him. And I've always been intrigued by this text. Maybe you have too. What is it about this interaction between Jesus and these disciples, these future disciples, they're not disciples yet, what is it in this interaction between Jesus and these fishermen that makes this invitation so compelling? And as I've been reflecting on that this week, I found something. I found something. The gospel writer gives us a clue. The gospel writer tells us that Jesus saw Simon and Andrew. And then Jesus went a little bit longer, and the gospel writer tells us that Jesus saw James and John. And the Greek word there for saw is not just S-A-W, is not just that he saw him with his eyes, but it's bigger than that. He saw them. He connected the work of the eyes to the brain, to the meaning, to the heart. He saw them. This sight that Jesus has when he looks around the places where he is, this vision is the beginning of the kingdom of God. Before anything else, before the following, before the healing, before the teaching, before Jerusalem, Jesus saw. He saw. And from Jesus' sight, from his vision, flows this action. He calls to them. And the writer tells us specifically that he calls to them. Not just that he calls 
But there's something particular in the way that he calls that it is to them. He sees them and then he calls them. And with Simon and Peter, he gives them a taste of what they can expect. He says, I will make you become, that's the word, I will make you become fishers of people. He says that to Simon and Andrew, but he doesn't say that to James and John. They don't hear that at all. To James and John, he sees them, and then he calls to them, and they respond. They both respond. The beginning of God has come near. Friends, many people this week have been celebrating the speech that Oprah Winfrey offered at the Golden Globes. And I didn't actually watch the Golden Globes. I tried to, but there was too much going on in my house, and so I just turned it off. Um, But I did have enough people mention after the evening, there was enough sort of discussion about Oprah's speech that I had to take a listen. And as I listened to Oprah's speech, I realized that the power of a speech like hers, and you can look it up, you can find the transcript, it was referenced in the New York Times, all sorts of stuff. But the power of a speech like hers is that it says, I see you. I see you. You see, Oprah was able in her speech to peel away all the weight of politics. She was able to peel away the he said, she said value signaling that becomes such a challenge in this 21st century dialogue. And just for one moment, she was able to say, I see you. And as she talked about Rosa Parks, and as she talked about Reese Taylor, she was able to say, I see you. I see you as you tread that road, road of invisibility. I see you. And now because I see you and I'm noticing you, I'm bringing all of our other eyes onto you as well. And perhaps that was the strongest reason for Jesus to move into the area of Galilee. No one saw the folks of Galilee. They were strong, yes. They provided the lion's share of the economy, yes. But rarely were they seen. Well, to that, Jesus says, the time is up. I see you in all that you do and in all that you are, I see you. I see you and I not only see who you are right now, but I see who you can become and I see who I can make you become. I will make you become fishers of men. I see you. Friends, we are in a world this morning that needs to be seen. And ministry, it doesn't come from what we do, at least that's not where it starts. It comes from what we see. And it comes from the ability to see. Ministry comes from the place where you say, I see you in your loneliness. I see you there. I see you in your struggle to keep your family together. 
I see you in your grief that's not going away. I see you in your fear. I see you in your despair. I see you even when you're about to give up. I still see you. See, that is the beginning of ministry. I remember when my children were small and I would desperately be trying to have some sort of adult conversation. And inevitably what would happen is that when they were right next to me, they would get louder. And I would respond by not looking at them, right, by taking my attention elsewhere. And then they would get louder. And I would become more frustrated. One tact that I sometimes opted for, and I hate these examples about being a parent because Lord knows I failed a million times, but here's something that I did once in a while. One tact that I sometimes opted for was to look at them and to say, I see you. I see you with that cookie in your hand. I see you flailing around in that dragon costume. I still see you. I see you hurting your brother. I see that. Don't think that I missed that because I didn't. I see you having that tantrum. I still see you. You see, seeing is our first step to intimacy. It's the beginning. Don't forget the very beginning of the Bible, the beginning of Genesis. God saw what he had made, and he said, it is good. God saw it. There's a word that we've lost in the English language, and perhaps it's time to get that word back. Good luck with that, but I'll give it a shot. That word is called behold. Behold. Seeing for us in our current day, it's just a fleeting glimpse. It's a processing word. What Did you see what that person is wearing? Did you see what I made you for dinner? But to behold, that's different. To behold implies intimacy. It implies inner knowledge. It implies understanding. It implies making space for the other to exist. And this is what Jesus does. He offers a moment to behold these two families of fishermen, to behold them, to behold, to hold the, what he sees in his heart and in his being. And they need that, it turns out. You see, when someone sees you, you're ready to go. When someone sees what you are up to, you're ready to do more. When someone sees the struggle that you're having, you're ready to feel supported. And so these fishermen in Galilee, they needed to be seen. They didn't need money. They had that. They didn't need success. They had that. They needed to be seen. And it turns out that even the toughest and the strongest fishermen still had needs. So Jesus sees and he calls And then he offers them a new way. He offers them to trust what he can make them become. 
And that's the question for all of us today. Can we trust what he will make you become? You see, he doesn't offer them a chance to become better fishermen. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. So can we trust in who he will make us become? This is the beginning of the ministry of the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this text. We thank you that you see us. You see us in every place that we are. The 3 a.m. wake-up times when we can't get back to sleep. The times when we're waiting test results. The places in our deepest longing and our greatest fear, Lord, you see us. Help us in those moments to trust who you are making us become. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I've had a request this morning that we sing uh, hymn 379, We Shall Overcome, because it's Martin Luther King weekend, which uh, is a wonderful opportunity. But before we sing this hymn, what I want to say is that we are not singing this hymn because it's Martin Luther King weekend. We are singing this hymn because this hymn has, that we are a part of the story that this hymn offers us. Okay, so let us stand and join together in song.